catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Welcome to That Christian Geeky Couple from Boise, Idaho. This is Adam. And Andrea Graham. And we're about to wrap up, or we're getting close to the end of our journey through the career uh, and timeline of River Song from her perspective. And we reach Silence in the Library and the Forest of the Dead. And Doctor. Yes. And this was River... I've forgotten how fabulous he was. Well, you just listened to the audio dramas a few months ago. But I do kind of know what you mean. Um, uh, mainly how good the, they were together in this particular story. And even though I thought Death, uh, Death and the Queen was really good for uh, the 10th Doctor and Donna, this, this particular two-parter is just absolutely uh, superb. Um, and, and there's so Can much. Can I tell them the awesome realization I had? Sure. Should I do the spoiler song first? Um, is this river related? Yes. Okay, we're gonna get we're get into it that. It has to do with connecting the chronology and the things she was saying in this, and what it the only way it makes sense. Okay, well we will. Uh, get to that in a second i want to talk about the overall episode and then we'll get into the river specific stuff and um for uh catherine tate uh who ended up getting uh separated from uh the 10th doctor in river song uh with river yeah, yeah, they wanted to leave him, I don't know, up the river or something like that, I guess. <laughs> anyway, uh, or anyway, uh, she, uh, she, I think, had a very good episode. And I think, you know, when you watch her in this episode, you see just how good Catherine Tate is, because she goes through a whole range. She starts off just kind of, you know jokey and sarcastic and you know that that pure stuff and then you start getting into all the horrors that happen in the library because they've landed at this library which is uh the biggest library in the in the uh universe a whole planet library and nobody there and something deadly is about and then uh, river song lands with uh her crew and um you know who else would absolutely love this place the librarians oh yeah if they ever do a librarians doctor who crossover it should be at the library well maybe they could find a better solution to the shadow monsters and bribing them into basically letting, giving you 24 hours to get everyone out of there safely. Um, isn't that something you should have sung the spoiler? Oh, yeah. 
Spoilers. Spoilers behind. Go ahead. Spoilers. Spoilers behind. Um. I forgot. I asked if we should sing it already. Okay. Well, we kind of hinted there would be spoilers ahead. Um. But at any rate, she goes to that, and then she starts seeing the, the horrors of people getting killed, and really has a strong emotional reaction to that. And then she, when the doctor tries to beam her onto the TARDIS, however, the library, in its attempt to save her, transports her up uh, into its database, where she lives an entire fake uh, life. Um, which, to go through that and go through that believably, I mean, it's some incredible. It's an incredible performance, and it makes me cry every time. As an infertile woman, I kind of relate to the ghost children. Yeah, and you know her um, lose, losing the guy she uh, loved because he still had the stuttering problem in real life. That was tragically yeah. sad. Um, at the uh, end. And yet she does have, towards the end, really is still the doctor's uh, anchor. Um, as I think she was throughout the fourth, uh, the, throughout the fourth series. So I think she was absolutely uh, incredible. Um, and the concepts here were, were pretty good. In some ways, you almost, it, it, you know, it, uh, this one really tries to justify the fear of the dark um, with these beings that live in the shadows. I mean, it, that's a very uh, creepy thing in this whole library that's full of them. The Doctor Who writers live to make us scared of stuff. Um, I mean, they even tried to make Sleep Sand scary. That, well, they failed at that one. I said tried. Yeah, Mark Gatiss thought, hey, you know, Stephen Moffat can make people fair, afraid of statues and afraid of the dark, afraid of monsters under the bed. I've got to make people afraid of something. There's got to be something left, left I can make people afraid of. That didn't work out well. Um, but at any rate, um, I, I, I thought... Would be a challenge up his alley to make us scared of something that's not scary, and it's just common and boring and ordinary. Yeah, he, he tried. A for effort, but you know, F for implementation. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's not talk about sleep no more. That was the worst Twelfth Doctor story so far. Um, but what really? I, I mean, there are so many, you know. It's not the 12th Doctor's fault. I don't think 10, 9, or 11 could have done much with that either. Well, that's true, but it's his era. I don't th Anyway, let's back at the state, back at the uh, ranch. Uh, this, I think, is, you know, there are so many great angles um, and, and just so many frightening, spooky elements uh, and some of it, I think, uh, ideas would be slightly uh, 
repolished and reused uh, when we got to uh, the story of the wreck of the uh, Byzantium. Uh, but here I think it is just perfectly realized. It's great atmosphere. There's a great sense of mystery about who the little girl is, uh, about uh, Dr. Moon. And there's some nice revelations. I also like the fact that the evil, that who you were expecting to be, the evil, manipulative, rich guy villain, turned out not to be an evil villain or just a rich guy who was being very proprietary about a patent or a patent, as we say, uh, on the other side of the ocean. I've got to be careful or I'll start pronouncing uh, words that the British uh, pronounce differently in the British way. Um, but uh, there were... its expectation being defied. In fact, it re- my memory rewrote it so that he had, was one of the guys that died. Yeah, I was actually, even towards the end, I was like, well, It was uh, just a surprise the second time through as a result. Because I was thinking he, you know, the jerk had got what was going down. Yeah. I, that's what's supposed to happen in that plot of that type of person. They're usually one of the first, one of the first, in a horror story where twenty five people die, he's one of the first five. Well, yeah, and that's the expectation, but it totally subverts that with the ending, with the girl um, basically being uh, in a terminally ill child um, who was placed in the computer because she loved books and would be able to experience all the stories. And it, you, it does have that sort of, um, mo- the sort of idea that Moffat had of Doctor Who as a fairy tale. And it works it out really brilliantly in the course of uh, two episodes. Um, and of course... As brilliant as everything in this episode is, the reason that we're rewatching this is because of River Song, and it's interesting um, as you know watching it, uh, having seen the other episodes, it does you know it does makes it does make sense and it fits uh, you know having gone through this through her timeline. There aren't a whole lot of jumps. There are uh, some points where you could say, well, things didn't really literally happen that way. But um, I think that River Song is probably not somebody who is generally, like, uh, super, super accurate. And she has to be careful not to reveal too much to uh, spoil her own uh, timeline. Um, and to be honest, when I was first watching this, I kind of thought, um, I, I kind of thought uh, that River knew the Doctor and this was like some unseen adventure. But watching it through here, you see her being, you know, all direct and um, romantic and very familiar with the Doctor. And you realize that David Tennant is just like, and the Tenth Doctor's like, who are you? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I've met a lot of people, 
but I don't think I've met you. Um, and it's it's a great element that... Yeah, what amazed me is the way she was talking to the Tenth Doctor and the things she was saying to the Tenth Doctor, it occurred to me. And the fact is, she's mentioning, kept mentioning things. And then I'm like, we have not seen that yet. And it dawned on me. She's not being a complete idiot. She's not just, he, he's not just a face on a card that the, her doctors have told her about. She's met the Tenth Doctor before. She's had adventures with the Tenth Doctor before. Just not this far back. Yeah, I... Which means they've skipped stories that she, adventures she had with the Tim Doctor that they still have not, not shown us. Yeah, I think that that is... I, I think that that's true. And in many ways, you, you know, even... You, and I was really excited about this possibility of seeing more adventures of River with the Tim Doctor. Yeah, um, I, I think that's true. Uh, one thing I think that kind of backs that up is you think to the 11th Doctor's first meeting with River. And his emotions aren't what we would expect if his only prior meeting had been in this story. He is, um, you know, somewhat annoyed with her. Um, because, and I, I think that what annoys him yeah, it makes me want to go back and watch his first re- realizing what i realized makes me want to go and watch her first encounter with the 11th doctor again yeah he's annoyed because i remember him being a little suspicious toward her yeah he's suspicious annoyed um and i think that definitely suggests there were more adventures with 10 of course we're not going to see those on uh television but they are actually... It makes us wonder why he was so suspicious and annoyed toward her. Yeah. What did we think it was the first time through? I don't know. We, I think the one thing that would annoy any Time Lord is the idea that you have this person who knows more about your future than you do. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. You are supposed to be the one who knows. Who knows what exactly is going to happen. What has happened when you meet people. You might you know, not have chosen to access some information. But for someone you meet. A human woman. To be a mystery and enigma. Who dares to know more about what's going on than you do. That's a problem. And then you have... Do I remember? Did he have like his head rattled by his um, regeneration first? Did he have like any memory issues? With no, the not not really. No. I was, I was just trying to clarify that point. No, not really. No. Um, I, I mean, I thought I remember, I thought I remember <laughs> at one point a doctor having memory problems. Um. With the past doctors, I just don't remember which one. Yeah, I don't. I, I thought they had that. The eighth doctor. Well, eighth doctor had a bad regeneration. Uh, six, you know, fifth doctor into six had a bad regeneration, but and six into seven, that's eh, kind of rough. 
Um, I did actually send an email to Big Finish uh, because both of them, both Alex Kingston and David Tennant, are uh, under contract to Big Finish. And I actually wrote, so since we're... Well, you might as well read it on air. Okay. Rewatching Silence in the Library, my wife noticed that River acted as if she'd met the Tenth Doctor before. She didn't act as if she was if he was one she hadn't met before as she would have if she'd met one of the earlier doctors. It seems there would be an opportunity to either have the Tenth Doctor show up on Diary of River Song box set or have a series of Tenth Doctor adventures where she keeps showing up to play the companion role during the time the Tenth Doctor is traveling alone. I know you must be facing a lot of ideas from fans on how to do a lot of things, but I do think the Tenth and River is something that's worth considering. I assume you've already been asked about the following. When will the Tenth Doctor meet Jago and Lightfoot? When will the Tenth Doctor meet Benny? How about a Tenth Doctor adventures with Charlie Pollard as the companion? What about a multi-doctor story with the Tenth Doctor? Therefore, I won't ask you these questions. So, there you go. I just kept it basic, and that was the only thing I asked was the thing newer. What was the next? I will say that I understand. Yeah, scheduling is always going to be a challenge with an actor as popular as David Tennant. But to me, it would be kind of a no-brainer. Um, so continuity, and so yes, truly geeky. I sent an email to Big Finish and I read it here. Um, Did you get a response? No, no. They might read it on the air in a few weeks. Um, they read fan letters on the air? Yes, for their podcast. I've had a couple podcast. read. I got made fun of by John Dorney. But Who made fun of you? John Dorney, one of my favorite uh, writers for Big Finish. Why did they make fun of you? It was a Christmas party, and I said some. Uh, I said something American, I guess. Uh, what did you say? Well, I think I wrote a bunch of things in there, and they said at the party, you know, well, you know, you know, he, he's not done. <laughs> well, he is an American. <laughs> uh, plus, I, I called one of John Dorney's tales a well, high tale. They were just, uh, you're so quaintly American, basically. Apparently. Okay. But, well, you can't help that. Yes, I suppose not. Um, but if I start saying words like patent, <laughs> schedule, no. Anyway. Um, Are you not making fun of how they talk? I am not. Uh, not at all. Bob's your uncle not making fun of anything they say. Oh. Bob's your uncle? Bob's my cousin, too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Big Bobby and little Bobby. <laughs> So they're both pretty big. <laughs> okay. That was... A, Bob's your uncle is a British saying. That was the joke. Okay. Okay. I'm just pointing out... I so, back to River Song. Um, I, I think there was a great sense of mystery worked in. And it, it was you get a picture of that she had reached a level of satisfaction and comfort in her relationship with the doctor that she didn't really have at the start of the husbands you know, of river song. All right. 
Which fan are you more? Are you you're not being as annoying as what was it the twelfth or the twelfth doctor? Yeah, I've only sent them a few letters. Um, the twelfth doctor actually uh, they they found that somebody in the Doctor Who office had basically uh, written an internal memo saying that he was an annoying fan. <laughs> so. Well, now he's their um, star. Yes. Though that person's no longer there. Anyway. That's kind of the story. Is now there's a plot. Yeah, but as I was saying, it really did appear that the, she had grown, I think, into a level of comfort and security, uh, River Song, in a relationship with the Doctor that she didn't really have. And she had, must have had some sense that she was going to die because she had... Uh, Sneaked out of the trip once to jump <laughs> into the uh, doctor's arms twice, and I'm gathering that it, maybe ten was. I'm wondering if it was ten or twelve of the ones that picked her up then. Yeah, I, I'm leaning towards ten for some reason. If it, it it could very well it, it mainly because that's probably who they were thinking of at the time when they were writing. Yeah, I, I, I don't think... I, they probably had, when they first started this, had they really planned at 11 and, let alone 12. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think that she had a sense uh, when she came there that she was going to die. She may have had a sense she was nearing the end, but that whole thing about... She sure kept putting this off, the library off, and she ran off with him twice. I mean, what she did, what, I mean, the first time it just seemed very, what they remarked just seemed very, that's odd. When you go through it the second time, her behavior, she jumped out and into the TARDIS, because we've seen her do this so many times, we know exactly what she was doing. She ran off with the doctor. Yeah. And was gone just long enough for them to pick her up. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... It's certain she was probably gone for much longer than they realized. I mean, I think reaching the end of the diary, you know, that may have been something that. Um, it makes me wonder if she even had went and got a second diary because because it was a pretty full at the end of um, I think it was the last Christmas special. Yeah, husbands of River Song. They've thrown in a bunch of. Uh, no, even, yeah, that's what I meant. And then they threw out the big uh, Finnish radio stuff. Well, it may... The diary may... of River Song, that would have to be a new diary, because it was already stuffed. Well, it was stuffed, but here's the thing with the diary the doctor gave her. It's bigger on the inside. Is it really? It must be, because she had the same uh, diary. Um, because she, cause she's got to keep the same diary... Um, to mark her uh, encounters with the doctor. Um, and and I, I think that uh, that is... Or it magically grows extra pages? Perhaps, perhaps. Um, I, al I also... Uh, 
of course, the episode, the story does end. You know, she she gives her life to uh, save the doctor who is about to you know burn out his uh, uh, hearts and be unable to regenerate through this process. Um, and it's a very moving scene on a purely technical level. You know, you could look at it cynically and say, well, of course she's giving her life because the way the doctors impacted her timeline, if he's not there, then a lot of things don't happen. But she makes it very clear that it's the decision that what her time with the doctors meant, she doesn't want to give any of that up. Um, uh, She doesn't want to erase a single line. And and then you get, and then the episode has a false uh, ending um, where the doctor is walking um, away from River's diary and her sonic screwdriver. And that is just, and then you find the true uh, ending. And it's one of my absolute, favorite sequences in Doctor Who. I think I've watched that on YouTube about 20 times where the t- where her narration uh, River's narration is going and the Doctor re- realizes that his future self gave her a screwdriver and um, you know why did and what and uh, why did why did I do that and he looks at it and he realizes that um he saved a copy of her consciousness which can then be preserved in the library but he's got to hurry to get it there because the signal is weakening and then there's just a fantastic you know uh scene of him running uh to the data core um and it's just such an iconic scene it's beautifully directed very powerful and you get to the end of the episode where he snaps his fingers to open the TARDIS door which is something that River said her doctor um, could do and which he had said was impossible um, it's just such magic Those that's final scene uh, all perfectly iconic uh, absolutely brilliantly done do 11 and 12 ever do that? Snap their fingers? I think 11 did it a few times. Um, uh, I guess they're just old-fashioned to usually use the key if they can. Um, something, you know, you keep using a key for hundreds of years, you know, you just get in the habit of it. Um, plus the whole snap your fingers thing, that's not really a security mechanism, that's just a cool and you don't necessarily need to do that every time okay all right so overall thoughts on this story um i will go ahead and i will give it a rating of nine and a half tardises out of ten i was tempted to give it ten but i thought that might be a little high I know, because then it's got to stand up to anything else you give a 10. And anything else you give a 10 has to stand up to it. Hmm. 
Nine and three quarters. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, yes, we're getting into decimals. All right. Well, we have one more Doctor Who story to discuss. Well, I'm an independent-minded woman, so now I can't give it a 9.5 like because you already gave it a 9.5. All right, fair enough. So now we have a big finish audio drama we both listened to today, and it's Urgent Calls Start. Maybe you should let me go first more often. Okay, I'll let you go first on Urgent Calls. Okay, in Urgent Calls, uh, the doctor... Um, actually ha- a phone rings nearby where the doctor is at uh and he picks it up it's not his phone but he answers it anyway and that is totally something the doctor would do because it's rude and entitled and <laughs> well he answers the phone and the the woman there's a woman who, who is on the other end of end of the line trying to get her mother because uh, because uh, she is feeling really, really sick, uh, and she tells the doctor her symptoms. After all, he said he's the doctor, and uh, uh, he tells her to get to the hospital and exactly what to do to get treatment. And so, so she survives. Um, and they keep actually contacting each other uh by phone, uh, usually her uh, calling, uh, her calling him entirely through wrong numbers, uh, and of course the doctor at this point doesn't have a telephone in the TARDIS. That'd be something that uh, Matt Smith would put in for all of his friends, like Winston Churchill, to. Uh, I was wondering about that. Yeah, he doesn't have a phone in there. Is this when he said he was using the police box? As a new Who person, I was thinking, oh, do you mean the TARDIS phone? No, he was just using a call box. He was walking by, you know, another, a police call box. The phone rang, and he answered it. Why? Because it was ringing. But it's a police call box. It's not your own TARDIS. Well, he saw the phone, and he answered it. Um, the story is about him continuing to interact with this woman, and it's actually a, it's an interesting twist because it's told almost entirely through a series of phone calls between the doctor and this woman, Lauren, who uh, he never meets um, in person. And it's just a, it's a, it's a half Yeah, she was hinting for him to take her with her, him. Yeah, and uh, you know it. It's it's an interesting tale with a lot of twist, um, and uh, it ends actually because she, uh, the doctor fixes what was causing the problem, um, and so she doesn't get any calls from him. So she sends him a letter um, about what she's up to. And asking him to call. Dear Santa. I mean the Sixth Doctor. (laughs) Um, It was a very well acted uh, story. And uh, it's a very unique storytelling device to, you know, tell a Doctor Who story where the Doctor doesn't meet the prime person he's dealing with. 
and uh, I, uh, I've listened to it a few times, and I find it it's really delightful, great character piece, and uh, a very, uh, a very unique story. Uh, so, Andrea, how would you rate Urgent Calls? Well, it was perfectly designed for radio. I'll give it that. Yeah, this would get boring on television. A seven? All right, I will give it a nine uh, out of ten. It was uh, a uh, phenomenal story, great drama, and uh, the best part of, well, or one of the best parts about it is you can actually get it for free uh, through uh, Big Finish's uh, SoundCloud. They've made the episode free. It was entertaining, but it was like 90% telling. It was it was really fun. I liked it, enjoyed it. It was uh, a yeah, great audio I concept. I gave it a seven. Well, I gave it a nine. You can rate it what you want. I can rate it what I do. Yes, yes we can. Yes. All right. Thank you very much, honey. All right. Well, now I have some big finish that I've listened to on my a own. Nine, really? Think of about the things you've given a nine to. Is that good? Pyramid of Mars. Yeah, it's as good as that. It's okay. Mummy it's, on the Orient Express. Only half a point. You gave it only half a point less than you just did. <laughs> well, uh, reverse finale, which was phenomenal. Yeah, it's not on that level. <laughs> I I think as a piece of audio drama, you know, I think you have to kind of compare apples to apples. And I think it gets an eye. Penny. <laughs> Go ahead and overrate it. Thank you. So, now I've I... I've gotten my protest in. Okay, so now on to some more audio dramas, which I will overrate... But she won't be able to object since she didn't hear them. And we start with Bernie Somerfield, Doctor Who, the un- the Unbound Universe. Bernie Somerfield was a companion of the Seventh Doctor originally introduced in the uh, Virgin New Adventures novels. Been given life at Big Finish and her own series of adventures. Uh, most of these were without the Doctor, but she's been in two box sets with Sylvester McCoy, as well as a couple of uh, one-shot stories. But uh, they wanted to mix it up and have her work with another doctor, and not a doctor that people had heard of, the Unbound Doctors. Big Finish released a uh, series of uh, called Doctor Who Unbound several years ago. And uh, the Unbound Universe had alternate universe doctors, where things went a little bit different uh, in the uh, history of Doctor Who. They told one story where the Valyard actually triumphed at Trial of the Time Lord. But that wasn't a good story. What was a good story was when David Warner played the Third Doctor, and the Third Doctor, instead of arriving on Earth in the 1970s, arrived on Earth in the 1990s, leaving Lethbridge Stewart to deal with all the alien threats that uh, the Doctor dealt with. And, the, and Lethbridge Stewart managed to... Uh, handle them 
However, things didn't go as well and he got blamed for it. Uh, anyway, that was the premise of the uh, universe. And uh, his was one of the most uh, popular alternate doctors. And he got called back to make a second story, Masters of Earth, which was an alternate take on Genesis of the Daleks which is actually amazing. And so they uh, recommissioned David Warner's Doctor to uh, bring Bernie Summerfield into his universe. Unfortunately, his universe is dying. And this Doctor is actually uh, fleeing his own universe uh, to get into Bernice's, but drags her in by mistake. But since she's there, they go on a series of amazing adventures. And these are really amazing stories. They start out actually with a library, but uh, which contains uh, all the knowledge in the universe. And it's an incredible tale because it takes a totally different twist towards the end. Uh, and you meet a lot of interesting characters. There are people who sell knowledge. There are singing nuns who uh, manage to hold the universe together by singing mathematical uh, equations and are also trained in the use of heavy weapons, uh, which is kind of like a Legopolis thing with the block transfer computation. And then from there, they go on to Planet X, which the doctor doesn't want to go to. Because the Doctor is scared of this planet. He's scared of being bored. Uh, David Warner, Doctor, just does a beautiful job describing how boring this planet is. In fact, the great tragic war that affected the whole planet, it didn't affect this planet because the planet was so boring that neither side in the war cared about it. Well, on Planet X, they've decided that being boring is an advantage that allows them to survive. And so they need to make sure the planet is as boring as possible. And people who aren't boring, they face a fate worse than death. It's a, it's a very uh, bizarre uh, dystopian tale. And uh, Bernice and uh, the Doctor are split up with uh, the Doctor playing off against Prime Minister 470 because uh, in order to be truly boring, they actually abolish names. Uh, uh, Benny meets up with a frightened citizen of that, of that world who is so afraid of displaying emotion lest she is processed. This is a, a world that's, uh, like I said, it's dystopian. It's brilliantly done. It has some great thoughts at the uh, heart of it. And uh, some great drama, both for Benny and the Doctor, who uh, does some great work exasperating Prime Minister 470, while uh, Bernie deals with these, Benny deals with these real emotional issues. Then the next story finds them on a planet which features strange goings-on, including killer unicorns, but becomes something a little bit more serious, as one side of it, of the war plans to destroy this planet, albeit reluctantly, for a lack of uh, response, a lack of willingness to surrender or to acknowledge what has happened. After the this planet had launched a uh, attack that ultimately failed, but devastated the entire galaxy. This is a superb story, and really the guest actors absolutely carry it. And then finally, we have uh, the final story, which has the Doctor uh, putting as many people as he can in the TARDIS to take them to the one place in the universe where they'll be safe. Because it appears that the universe is ending, and it is a mall 
a mall at the end of the universe where people can buy lottery tickets for a lottery to get out of this uh, soon-to-be-doomed universe. However, the uh, Emporium is run by the manager, who is actually the master, who is up to a nefarious plan. And there's a lot of humor there as she as uh, he almost really uh, uh, is uh, flirting with uh, Bernie Sumnerfield, who has a habit of uh, falling into relationships with the wrong guy. And pretty much once you've fallen for the master, it doesn't get um, much worse than that. This was actually a great release from Big Finish. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I love David Warner as the Doctor, even though he's never played him on TV, this alternate universe Doctor. There's, they left a lot of mystery, and there's going to be a second set. I'm so thankful for that. Even the extras on this set are interesting. Uh, they have a, a new Doctor Who uh, Unbound uh, uh, version of the theme, which they explain. And Sam Gisgard, who plays the ma uh, Master, is absolutely hilarious in the uh, extras. So overall, I will give the box set a rating of... 8.75 TARDISes out of 10. It is really uh, phenomenal. I'd give it a 9, but Andrea is still sitting nearby. Okay, well, moving on to Dalek Empire 3. And uh, Dalek Empire is an interesting big finish uh, production, which uh, a series that asks what happens when uh, the Daleks come a calling and the Doctor's not around. Um, and they did two different series which were kind of interesting on long-term Dalek occupations. This one begins when Daleks have kind of faded into legend. P people aren't around Earth aren't even sure if there were Daleks. But they begin to show up and uh, assert themselves in a very quiet way. Um, and the first uh, episode of Dalek Empire 3, The Exterminators. Uh, the Daleks remain in the background, which is good, because I think it's a real challenge to introduce a bunch of uh, characters and their stories when they're in the middle of the Daleks uh, invading. That's a big thing. Uh, so instead, you got the Dalek background, and you have all these other players that are moving. Probably the prime uh, focus, though is um, is on this uh, planet where they where it's kind of a nature preserve um, and uh, this uh, young woman has just arrived uh, and this is just does a great job of setting up uh, the sound design on this is is superb this is a six uh, part uh, series uh, each episode about an hour in length so six hours that's a pretty um, yeah, uh, that's a pretty epic uh, story length. And the sound design really gives you an expectation that you're going to hear something uh, epic. It's all set up, but it's magnificently done. So uh, Exterminators is a promising start to the series. I will give it 8 Daleks out of 10. And next up, we have Doctor Who The Rapture, which is about a nightclub. 
Let me go ahead and say what is good about it. It has a nice, clever little opening uh, leading into the theme. And this isn't the normal Doctor Who theme. This is a very well-done, classy uh, remix of it. Uh, sounds great, both uh, the uh, intro music and the music between episodes. And that the the best part, you listen to the beginning, you hear that uh, new version of the theme, that is totally amazing. And that is the best part. I mean, literally, from the opening theme, it's all downhill from there, except for stops for the closing theme. Essentially, uh, this... Uh, nightclub is being run on a uh, island where uh, young people in their teens and 20s come to party down and it's a given a semi-religious theme with uh, one of the uh, singers the best one identifying himself as the angel gabriel and he kind of thinks he is it's a very bizarre uh, plot but it's not a bizarre plot that actually works it brings out the worst in uh, sylvester mccoy particularly in parts three and four as he gets into shouting a lot plus in many ways it's a step back for ace at this point in the doctor who main range uh, ace had decided to ch to start having people call her mcshane her last name and she just did that the previous story and that's great because mcshane sounds very grown up ace it's hard to imagine that being something that a grown woman wants to go by is ace so it's like hey i'm a grown-up i'm an adult now i am a mature adult uh, making mature decisions about my life. Uh, and if you think what is being grown up is going to a nightclub and getting crazy drunk with a bunch of unlockable strangers, then yeah, that's grown up. It's just in so many ways so uh, annoying and disappointing. And Ace meets, and uh, this really does get very soporotic and uh tries to do a psychological drama and does it kind of poorly with the doctor out loud psychoanalyzing the villain uh one of the more soporotic uh twist is ace meeting her long lost brother who she didn't know existed before and it was somewhat confusing because uh, according to uh him ace's father was four ace was four when her father left and didn't remember that she had a little brother. A four-year-old's gonna remember she had a little brother. That's just doesn't make any sense to start with. And they do this montage where actually you have three or four different scenes that are going on. And they interlace them together, which is an interesting directorial method where you have an interesting story to tell. However, they're interlacing four different stories that they gave us no reason whatsoever to care about. Any of these scenes, any of these people. So you're cycling from one person who's one scene you don't care about to another scene you don't care about. And it's just so um, overdone. Uh, the religious elements are just kind of strewn in there. They're not uh, connected to anything... Uh, traditional it's just like they randomly pick some things out of the bible oddly enough the doctor compared two uh djs in a nightclub 
using borrowing some religious themes and language uh to uh franco using uh religious language to justify his uh fascist regime in spain which was odd uh, but not the oddest thing in the story. The one thing that I did like about the story, other than the opening theme, which, again, the theme is really, really cool, uh, extremely well done, is the fact that Ace's brother is actually uh, a Christian, and uh, the guy, the uh, fake angel from the club, tried to persuade him, and essentially Ace's brother isn't open to this persuasion because he's a Christian and goes to church and actually has some uh, basic understanding of what is true. And his faith tells him that this guy is a fraud, which was an interest, which was probably one of the more pro-religion things um, and pro-Christian things ever in Doctor Who. But that's not enough to save the story. It's really bad. Uh, except for the theme, uh, again, I'm praising the theme. I'm trying to accentuate the positive. It had a nice theme. It was okay until they got past the theme music. Um, but overall, I will give the story two TARDISes out of ten. And uh, finally, on an audio drama front, we have Damascus. And this is a uh, short trip, which is a, an audio book. Uh, read by Tim Trelor, who uh, Big Finish has uh, uh, enlisted to play uh, the third Doctor. And he does a very good third Doctor voice, though his main focus is telling a story from the perspective of a fictional British Prime Minister who goes to unit with uh, some problems and the Doctor isn't responsive, as uh, he's busy... Uh, with something that landed in his TARDIS for some reason. Now, this is a 30-minute short trip, and uh, it's not actually a complete story. It teases so much, because we learn about uh, the aliens' actions here being tied to something called the Damascus Project, which the Doctor told Unit to shut down, and which the Prime Minister felt uh, should actually be in existence. And the story ends with the Prime Minister recording a uh, record, and the record on the record he states that the Doctor is uh, a great menace to the British public and has to be dealt with. And this is just kind of like, okay, where are we going with this? I'm really intrigued, but you better not leave it there. This is written by Jonathan Barnes, who has written most of their Sherlock Holmes stuff. Uh, but it's a pretty good intriguing story it's a hook it's the start of uh something and i hope it's continued either in the short trips range or uh perhaps in a full uh release uh it really does uh, get my attention i'll give it uh, eight tortoises out of ten finally we turn to a book and it's not doctor who it is marvel comics golden age masterworks Volume 5. This contains one of the most underrated Golden Age uh, comic stories of all time, which is the first ever superhero team-up. Now, the first superhero team-up in comics did not actually happen between Superman and Batman. It happened with Namor, the Submariner, teaming up with the original t Human Torch to fight Nazis in an exciting 26-page adventure. This is a, it's a great Golden Age story, and really it does make the book. The rest of the features are pretty good. 
Uh, I'm a huge fan of Namor the Submariner. And he makes some... Uh, all of his stories are interesting. The last one, when he decides to... Uh, uh, become a professional boxer for a while, take on a crooked uh, a crooked uh, boxing champion, is a bit weird, but awesome at the same time. What I really like about Namor is that he's got a heroic heart. However, his first dedication is to the citizens of Atlantis. And sometimes uh, their interest and his understanding of their interest run counter to the people who live on the surface of the Earth. And so that brings him into conflict with other heroes and other navies. Uh, the Submariner can actually be a bit fickle. He was, for example, at war with the U.S. Uh, Navy because he kidnapped a couple of uh, citizens who had uh, fallen into his uh, domain. And eventually he decides to give it up and says, hey, let's just go ahead and come together and fight Nazis. And the Navy says, okay. Amer the uh, Human Torch stuff is pretty good. It's not as good as Submariner, but they're, they're good basic stories with some uh, exciting adventure. Electro is the worst feature in there. It features a robot who is remote controlled. Uh, the angel is action. The angel is in there, and what I like here is both with the angel and Kazar of the jungle. Um, they actually serialized a couple stories, which made sense because in the 1940s, comic book stories started getting shorter because of wartime limits on uh, printing and uh, paper shortages. So they serialized a couple adventures. The one with uh, the angel dealt with the cat's claw. And Kazar's was uh, pretty good too, though my favorite Kazar story, Kazar is, was Timely's ripoff of uh, Tarzan is when uh, Nazis were in Africa and so Kazar uh, create, uh, got an army of uh, jungle animals together to fight the Nazis uh, and they included uh, gorillas who attacked the Nazis which gave a whole new meaning to guerrilla warfare. The ter uh, Terry Vance boy detective was okay. It had some funny moments and it was not particularly remarkable. Uh, they also, uh, comic books used to be required to have text stories in them uh, in order for them to get better postage. They needed a two-page text story. And some of the text stories in here were interesting because uh, unlike other uh, Marvel uh, collections where they would just throw in some random story about some random character... Uh, you actually got stories that were about, and in some cases written as if they were by uh, certain characters. Uh, for example, we never got an origin for the angel, uh, the Golden Age angel in comics, but uh, they went ahead and gave him a written version uh, of an origin. And then there was a story involving the Human Torch and Toro that was told from... Uh, Toro's perspective. Toro, of course, is the Human Torch's boy sidekick. These are not as good as, a, as uh, perhaps Marvel's better releases, but there's still a lot going on. And that Submariner Human Torch uh, fight at the st uh, or uh, joining together uh, team up is the a big highlight of the book. Uh, so I will give it uh, eight heroes out of ten. Well, that's all for now. Thanks so much for listening. From Boise, Idaho, this is Adam. And Andrea Graham. Signing off. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.